Hello, everybody, and welcome. I am your host, Adam Rodericks, and today I am elated to welcome you to the final episode in our special KPMG Podbyte series entitled The State of Crypto Assets. If you missed our first episodes, I encourage you to go back and check those out as well. Today, I'm joined by my esteemed colleagues in technology risk consulting, Mitch and Kunal. We're also joined by Rebecca Ip, a partner from our financial crimes practice. Welcome, everybody. Let's start with some very quick roundtable introductions. We'll start with you, Mitch. Do you mind letting all of our listeners know who you are and what you do at the firm? Thanks, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here again. Uh, I'm Mitchell Nicholson. I've been with the firm for a few months, and I'm trying to get involved into everything crypto-related. Hey, Adam. Always a pleasure to be here. Uh, Kunal Paseen. I'm a senior manager in our risk consulting practice, and I co-lead our blockchain and crypto asset efforts in risk consulting alongside Kareem Sadek. Hi, everyone. My name is Rebecca Ip, and I'm a partner within our financial crimes practice in risk consulting, and I look forward to our discussion today. So do we. And I believe, Rebecca, this is your podcast debut. So the gentlemen are veterans of the space, but I want to kick off the discussion with you. And please don't think me as, you know, picking on a newbie, but I know you're an expert in the space. I want to talk a little bit to you about anti-money laundering and financial crimes as it pertains to virtual currency. Could you start by running us through what types of organizations need to take the steps to comply with any applicable regulations in Canada? Yes, certainly. Thank you, Adam. Um, in Canada, if organizations are involved in specific virtual currency related services, then they will need to take steps to comply with the applicable AML regulations. These services include virtual currency exchange and virtual currency transfer services. As examples, these may include exchanging of funds for virtual currency, so VIAT to crypto, virtual currency for funds, so crypto to VIAT, or virtual currency for another virtual currency crypto to crypto, as well as transferring virtual currency at the request of a client or receiving a transfer of virtual currency for remittance to a beneficiary. So if any organization engage in any of the transactions I mentioned above, then the companies will need to be registered as a money service business with FinTrack. FinTrack is Canada's financial intelligence unit and must fulfill specific obligations as required by the Proceeds of Crime, Money Laundering and Terracing Financing Act and Associate Regulations. So, and that's just AML Act in Canada for short, which includes um, some, of, some of the specific obligations include collecting customer information and analyzing transactional data. I also want to point out that um, it is important uh, for financial institutions to monitor any of the clients who may be involved with transferring of their fiat funds uh, from the bank accounts to any virtual asset service providers. Banks will need to monitor the exposure um, to these type of transactions if they are going to be sending money uh, to countries uh, or parties which might be sanctioned in, um, in, the, in the around the globe. Rebecca, thank you so much. Kunal, I want to switch gears to you now. With this outline that Rebecca has so eloquently put in place for us, can you expand on the changes to regulations and when these will potentially go into effect? For sure. So um, FinTrack, as, as Rebecca mentioned, FinTrack actually has been releasing guidance and changes to its AML terrorist financing regulations uh, for the last couple of years. Um, and these changes are really to close any gaps 
stemming from the rise of cryptocurrencies. Um, and, and these changes are now being enforced as of June 1st, 2021. So, you know, just a couple of weeks before we record this podcast. Um, and a major change is really the reporting of large virtual currency transactions or LVCTR for short, uh, when, when the exchanges or the users are transacting crypto that's equivalent to $10,000 or more in Canadian dollars. Um, and in addition to that, the compliance program for these uh, organizations should also be able to identify, assess, and report any suspicious transactions based on the money laundering and terrorist financing indicators that have specifically been been identified for cryptocurrencies. And the guidance for this these indicators um, was released in December of 2020. These money laundering and terrorist financing indicators include use of any privacy coins, you know, mixers, joiners, um, wallet addresses in OFAC sanction lists, etc. But regulators will be reviewing compliance with these requirements for all these organizations between June 2021 and March 2022. And given that regulators are taking a flexible approach because Let's be honest, they realize that this is a significant undertaking and not all reporting entities would be able to meet these requirements. So in, in a case like that, the regulators have set a minimum set of expectations, such as keeping the records of reportable transactions as of June 1st, 2021, and also completing the implementation of its uh, large value currency, large value crypto transaction reporting system no later than December 1, 2021, um, and submit all the unreported transactions by March 31st, 2022. You know, Kunal, you always keep me on my toes, but in addition to that, now you've also got me frantically taking down some critical dates in my calendar. So thank you for that rundown. Rebecca, I want to come back to you. Um, what are some of the key steps that organizations should take in meeting these requirements that we just discussed? Thank you, Adam, and thank you, Kunal, for reminding our listeners about all the key dates. Um, I mean, with respect to uh, setting up a compliance program for uh, these crypto organizations or, exist or existing institutions um, offering these new type of services, um, you know, obviously they will need to update or set up the compliance program. Um, and, and some of the required elements of the compliance program includes designated a compliance officer with the focus on uh, identifying and deterring money laundering and terrorist financing activities at these organizations. Um, and this will include obviously developing or updating company policies and procedures to include cryptocurrency, conducting risk assessment of business activities as it relates to crypto, as well as really what we now uh, focused on or uh, discussed earlier around um, identifying the money laundering and terrorizing terrorist financing triggers or alerts, which will assist organization uh, in uh, complying to the requirements to file suspicious transaction reports, as well as large value transactions. Um, I think it's, it's really important to obviously understand what those regulations are and understand what those 
program elements are, because in our experience, these um, crypto organizations might not have the experience or might have not have the personnel to really understand and navigate the requirements that are being set up by FinTrack and in order to comply to the AML Act as a whole. Um, last but not least, uh, as part of the requirement, companies do require an independent review of its compliance program every two years. So not only uh, is it required to set up a program, but having the ongoing monitoring and ongoing review to ensure that the compliance is working as designed and operating as effectively as it, it, it should be. Wow, certainly a lot of things to consider there. Thank you so much for the rundown, Rebecca. What are the key challenges that organizations typically face in setting up their AML programs? That's a great question, Adam. And, and compliance programs are anyways complex and resource intensive as Rebecca can attest to it. Um, but when you add the crypto component to it, there are some unique challenges just you know, given the nature of cryptocurrencies. So, for, if you think about financial institutions that are monitoring their exposure to crypto, they need to pretty much in near real time assess whether the wire transfer or a transfer that their user is making is going to a non-compliant virtual asset service providers institution and that these VASPs, um, the virtual asset service provider, um, could be located anywhere on the globe, even in sanctioned jurisdictions. So. Really, you know, how do FIs keep track of all of this information and, and make sure that they're taking the necessary steps to, to avoid transfer of fiat onto these institutions? Now, if you think about VASPs that are involved in fiat to crypto and crypto to crypto transactions, there are even more challenges that, that need to be overcome, uh, such as implementing case management capabilities and putting the processes in place to identify each of these MLTF indicators that's relevant for their business, assessing these and, and then reporting these STRs and, and large value transactions. Another big one that has been discussed a lot in the industry is the travel rule compliance for crypto. The FATF, which is the Financial Action Task Force, uh, they have recommended that crypto industry complies with the same travel rule requirements as the fiat world where WASPs have the obligation to obtain, hold, and transmit uh, any required originator and beneficiary information associated with virtual asset transfers in order to identify and report any suspicious transactions, either take freezing actions and also prohibit transactions with designated persons and entities. So there are entities out there such as the blockchain intelligence uh, or, or on-chain analytics companies that provide such services. And, and also, you know, the challenge that these organizations need to overcome is how do they integrate all of these functionalities, these processes within their ongoing day-to-day -day operations and take adequate steps accordingly? Thanks, Kunal. And, and maybe just to add on to that point is that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, the underlying blockchain technology is really an immutable ledger that all transactions that are settled on the network are recorded for the entire history on the ledger. So from, from a re reporting point of view, as blockchain analytics firms improve in their ability to analyze transactions, many virtual asset service providers will be able to gain comfort in meeting requirements such as the FATF travel rule as the data can be analyzed and each hop between transactions can be reviewed in more detail. 
I love that. And I know we could go deeper, and that's probably why we've brought you this special four-part series on the current state of crypto assets. So if you missed any of our earlier episodes, be sure to check those out on the Podbytes channel and give them a listen. So for today, I want to thank our three guests, Mitch, Kunal, and Rebecca, for taking time out of their busy schedules to be with us in studio today. And as we conclude our series with this episode, our most sincere gratitude to Edwin, Rebecca, Mitch, Kunal, and Kareem for all of their value insights. Once again, I'm your host, Adam Rodericks, and thank you so much for listening. Bye, everybody.